The ingredients for this episode are Popea, Carnality, and Cherry Liqueur. I'm Andy Anderson, the Mischievous Maestro, and we're mixing up the perfect combination. The Coronation of Popea is an Italian opera by Claudio Monteverdi. It was Monteverdi's last opera with a libretto by Giovanni Francesco Bussinello, and it was first performed in Venice during the 1643 carnival season. One of the first operas to use historical events and people, it describes how Popea, mistress of the Roman Emperor Nero, is able to achieve her ambition and be crowned empress. The opera was revived in Naples in 1651, but was then neglected until the rediscovery of the score in 1888, after which it became the subject of scholarly attention in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. Since the 1960s, the opera has been performed and recorded many times. Now, for anyone familiar with Roman history, Emperor Nero was a deranged psychopath that happened to ascend to the throne of the most powerful empire in the world, making him one of the most vicious, murderous dictators in history. Popea was his concubine who, through conspiracies and seductiveness, managed to claim her place on the throne right next to him. In the opera, Nero loves Popea, but their love leads Nero to exile the legitimate empress Octavia, have his tutor, the philosopher Seneca, killed, and coerce the Senate of Rome to crown Popea empress, all while Popea, for her part, ruthlessly abandons her lover, Otone, as well as any pretense of shame. And when this couple from hell has finished off all the decent characters in the opera, after a triumphant, bombastic finale that seems to mock the usual, quote, happy ending in all early operas, they then sing one of the most beautiful love duets in all of opera history. It has also been said about this opera that, quote, never has the triumph of evil been set to such divine music. So, in a mischievous maestro plot twist, we are putting both Popea and Nero in the hot seat. Popea and Nero, here in the high court of the mischievous maestro, the charges brought up against you are as follows. Adultery, libel, sexual assault, first-degree murder, second-degree murder, reckless abandonment, and assault and battery. How do you plead? We, the High Court of the Mischievous Maestro, find you guilty as charged. And now, friends, I don't know about you, but it's getting a little hot and steamy in here, and I think it's time overdue for a cocktail.
My friends, for this episode, we're going to make a perfectly titled cocktail called The Lover's Kiss. Now, you're going to need a few things from your bar, so go to your bar and get the amaretto, get your cherry liqueur, your dark creme de cacao, and then from your refrigerator, you're going to need some half and half. So here we are. This is what you do. Let's break it down. In your cocktail shaker, add some ice. And to this, add one ounce of amaretto, one ounce cherry liqueur, one ounce dark creme de cacao, and two ounces of half and half. Put your lid on your shaker and give this a good shake until it's thoroughly chilled and frothed. Strain it into a glass. Top it with some whipped cream. And now grate a little fresh chocolate over the top of the whipped cream. If you've got a cherry in your refrigerator, throw a little cherry on there and enjoy, my friends. There you go, the lover's kiss. So now with your lover's kiss in hand, let's talk about one of opera and one of history's genuinely evil couples. Opera as a dramatic genre originated around the turn of the 17th century, although the word itself, opera, was not in use before 1650. Precursors of musical drama included pastoral plays with songs and choruses and the madrigal comedies of the late 16th century. Monteverdi had already established himself as a leading composer of madrigals before writing his first full-length operas in the years 1606 through 1608, while he was in the service of Vincenzo Gonzaga, the Duke of Mantua. Remember him from our discussion of the Duke from Verdi's Rigoletto? These works, Orfeo and La Ariana, deal with the Greek myths of Orpheus and Ariadne. After a disagreement in 1612 with Vincenzo's successor, Duke Francesco Gonzaga, Monteverdi moved to Venice to take up the position of director of music at St. Mark's Basilica, where he remained until his death in 1643. The main sources for the story told in Busanello's libretto are the Annals of Tacitus, Book 6 of The Twelve Caesars, Books 61 and 62 of Cassius's Roman History, and an anonymous play titled Octavia, from which the opera's fictional nurse characters were derived. The main story is based on real people and real events. Think of it almost as Verismo. Busanello condensed historical events from a seven-year period, approximately 58 AD to 65 AD, into one single day. He was open about his intention to adapt history for his own purposes, writing in the preface to his libretto that, quote, here we represent these actions differently, end quote. Thus, he gave his characters different attributes from those of the historical counterparts. Nerone's cruelty is downplayed. The wronged wife Octavia is presented as a murderous plotter. Seneca, whose death in reality had nothing to do with Nerone's liaison with Popea, appears as more noble and virtuous than he really was. And Popea's motives are represented as based on genuine love as much as a lust for power. 
The coronation of Popea is frequently described as a story in which virtue is punished and greed is rewarded. Tim Carter, an Australian musicologist, calls the opera's characters and their actions, quote, famously problematic, and its messages, quote, at best ambiguous and at worst perverted. Another critic has referred to the opera as, quote, an extraordinary glorification of lust and ambition. From their knowledge of Roman history, audiences in Venice would have recognized that the apparent triumph of love over virtue, celebrated by Nerone and Popea in the closing duet, was in reality a very hollow symbol, and that not long after this event, Nerone actually kicked the pregnant Popea to death. They would have known, too, that Nerone himself committed suicide a few years later, and that others in the opera and in real life also met untimely deaths. By the way, in the opera, Nero is called Nerone. So, my friends, who were these people that make up the two main characters in our story? Popea Sabina the Younger was born in Pompeii in AD 30. That's about 40 years or so before the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Her first marriage was while she was only 14 years old, and during the marriage, she gave birth to a son. After her divorce, she married Otho, a friend of the new emperor, Nero. Historians have said that she married him only so she could get close to Nero. She divorced Otho and forced all of her attention on becoming Nero's wife. It is said that Popea convinced Nero to murder his mother Agrippina in AD 59 so that she could marry him. Modern historians theorize that Nero's decision to kill Agrippina was actually prompted by her plot to set Nero's maternal second cousin on the throne instead of Nero. With Agrippina gone, Popea pressured Nero to divorce his first wife and later execute her and her stepsister, Claudia Octavia, in order for them to marry. Side note, Popea is also in another popular opera composed about 50 years after Monteverdi's opera. Popea is a principal character in Handel's opera, Agrippina of 1709, but here she's more of a victim and not a perpetrator of deceit and manipulation. Here in this opera, the schemer is Agrippina, Nero's mother, intent on promoting her son's claim to the throne. Popea the ingenue is portrayed as the object of desire of Claudius, Nero, and Otho, each of whom serve for a time as the Roman emperor, and also whose rivalries Agrippina attempts to leverage to her advantage. Once Popea sees through Agrippina's deceit, 
She responds in kind, but only in order to be united with Otho, portrayed as her one true love. Nero Claudius Caesar Augustus Germanicus was born on the 15th of December, 37 AD, and died on the 9th of June, 68 AD, and was the fifth Roman emperor, ruling from 54 to 68. His infamous reign is usually associated with tyranny, extravagance, and debauchery. Speaking of that debauchery, there's more on that to come. We can skip all of the early stuff with his life. It's really not that interesting. He was a horrible kid, spoiled brat, rose to the throne, so on and so forth. You get the picture. Reminds us of other popular politicians today. Anyway, let's get right to the nitty-gritty, shall we? In his book, Nero, Edward Champlin wrote, quote, Nero murdered his mother, and Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Nero also slept with his mother. Nero married and executed one stepsister, executed his other stepsister, and raped and murdered his stepbrother. In fact, he executed and murdered most of his close relatives. He kicked his pregnant wife, Popea, to death. He castrated and then married a freedman. He married another freedman, this time himself, dressed as the bride. He raped a vestal virgin. He melted down all of the statues of gold for Rome, just strictly for their cash value. After incinerating the city in 64, he built over much of downtown Rome with his own great palace titled the Golden House, estimated to be anywhere between 100 and 300 acres in size. Let me say that again. Estimated to be anywhere between 100 and 300 acres in size. He fixed the blame for the Great Fire on the Christians, some of whom he actually hung up as human torches to light his gardens at night. He competed in the Olympics as a poet, a singer, and an actor, a herald, a charioter, and he won every contest. Even when he fell out of his chariot, he alienated and persecuted the elite, neglected the army, and drained the treasury. And he committed suicide around the age of 30, one step ahead of his executioners. It is said that his last words were, quote, what an artist has died in me, end quote. At one point in his rule, he thought about giving up his emperorship and becoming a professional musician so people, quote, would adore in me what I am, end quote. During his monotonous recitals, it is said that he locked the audience in the theater so that no one was allowed out for any reason. And on one such occasion, a woman reportedly gave birth in the middle of a performance and Nero kept on playing as if nothing had happened. Tacitus wrote, quote, 
Nero gave feasts in public places as if the whole city were his own home. But the most prodigal and notorious banquet was given by Nero's advisors. The entertainment took place one evening on a raft, and it was towed above all other vessels on the lake with gold and ivory fittings. On the docks were brothels stocked with high-ranking ladies, and opposite them could be seen naked prostitutes indecently posturing and gesturing. Sounds like Bourbon Street. At nightfall, the woods and houses nearby echoed with singing and blazed with lights. Nero was already corrupted by every lust, natural and unnatural. Tacitus goes on to write, quote, A few days later, he went through a formal wedding ceremony with one of the perverted gang members named Pythagoras. The emperor, in the presence of witnesses, put on the bridal veil himself. Bowery, marriage bed, wedding torches, all were there. Indeed, everything was public, end quote. Side note, one of Nero's many marriages, and I put that in quotations, was to one of his male servants. His servant is said to have had similar facial features of Popea and the same color hair. Nero had the servant castrated and then married him. So there you go, my friends. It's fun when real life gets put onto the opera stage, and even more fun when it is all about two very interesting characters. Remember, the opera has several years reduced into a one-day time period. There is no way that all of this could possibly be put into one score, or on stage as far as that's concerned. Let's close with one last side note, shall we? Popea's son from her first marriage was eventually drowned by Nero while out on a fishing trip after Popea's death. And her first husband, the father of the child that was drowned, was executed by Nero's orders on the same exact day. In our next episode, the High Court of the Mischievous Maestro will be hearing the case against the original bad guy, the devil himself, Mephistopheles, from Gunos Faust. Until then, continue to be safe, my friends, and as always, stay thirsty for knowledge.
The Mischievous Maestro podcast was researched and written by me, Andy Anderson. Recording engineer and co-producer is Ryan Hall. Art director and co-producer is Jefferson Reidenauer. Very personal assistant to the Mischievous Maestro and co-producer is Megan King. Production assistant, co-producer, and all-around great guy is Yvonne Kano. Publicist for Andy Anderson is Jonathan Blaylock. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite platform to get all of the upcoming episodes with exciting drinks. To learn more about the Mischievous Maestro and for the drink recipes, don't forget to visit our website themischievousmaestro.com and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Mischievous Maestro is so much more than a podcast, it's a lifestyle. And I would like to remind you to please drink responsibly. If you're not old enough, don't do it. And if you are old enough, do it in moderation. And if you're having a bad day and refuse to drink in moderation, then please follow these simple rules for overindulgence. Don't drink and drive. Please don't drink too much and then email your boss asking for a raise. And please, for all that's holy in the world, don't drink too much and then drunk text your ex at 3 a.m. This podcast is the sole property of the mischievous maestro and may not be used in whole or in any part without the expressed written permission of Andy Anderson.